So I'm with Joel Richardson, and uh, what a privilege to have him as a friend. Joanne and I have come to love him, and we knew about him through his writings. He's a New New York Times bestselling author. He's a filmmaker and internationally recognized teacher. He lives in the U.S., but he has a heart and a passion for all the peoples of the Middle East, and he globally teaches on how to live out the gospel with biblical hope, the return of Jesus, preparing the church to face the great challenges of our time. And uh, wow, his his books, the latest one, you've got to get it, From Sinai to Zion. Um, we were privileged to go with Joel to Saudi Arabia and uh, be a part of hearing some of his teaching on what's happening in Saudi Arabia, but there's more. He's got the Islamic Antichrist, the Mideast Beast, Mystery Babylon, When a Jew uh, Rules the World, Mount Sinai uh, is, is terrific. That's another great book that has to do with what's happening in Saudi Arabia now, and there's much more, but a dear friend. And Joel, we just thought we just need to share with some of our listeners about what is happening in Afghanistan and what we can do to help them. So um, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you and Joanne, and um, I just appreciate you guys so much. So it's it's great to be on with you today. Well, we're honored to have you as a friend and a co-laborer and uh, go-to guy when we're talking about strategies and what we want to do in the Middle East. And um, you were saved 30 years ago. Can you give us your salvation experience in, in just a nutshell? Can you tell us how that happened? I mean, your background, what a wild background, like many of us had, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's not all that wild. I mean, I was just sort of your typical, I grew up on the South Shore, Massachusetts, just sort of south of Boston, just your typical child of the 80s, divorced parents living in his mother's basement, zero oversight, you know, just kind of a street kid selling, selling weed and drugs and, and doing all that. Um, but at 19, a friend of mine, it was really interesting, a friend of mine got saved and um, had heard about this uh oh this preacher from down south sort of one of the old sawdust trail tent revival preachers real southern holiness and so he actually wanted to uh go hear him um and in the process he also had uh the idea that he would go down to either uh, tennessee or um, arkansas and buy land so you know back then you could buy a few acres out in the in the Ozarks, you know, for like a thousand dollars an acre sort of thing. So we drove from Boston down. We ended up in Memphis, Tennessee in the process of, of this all to, to see this particular preacher. And I had zero, zero experience with Christian culture, you know, with any of this, a Boston boy in a Southern tent revival meeting. That's, you know, like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court type of thing. <laughs> and so when, when we got there, you know, we drove down in this little pickup truck and it was late August. So roughly 30 years ago, um, August 20th. And so, you know, we were ripe, let's say by the time we got there, been on the road 24 hours or so. And so when we got there, my friend said, I'm going to find the preacher and ask if he'll baptize me. And I thought, Hey, I'm going to see if the preacher will baptize me. Not because, I wanted to get baptized and saved because I thought, hey, these guys do full dunk. 
uh, you know, kind of the perfect opportunities to, to take cool off and take a bath, so to speak. And um, so the, the joke was on me uh, as we stayed for the meetings that evening. Um, I'll just say that in the midst of the preaching, I mean, it's real hellfire uh, prophetic preaching, the spirit of conviction fell on me and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit just spoke and real clearly just said, your entire life is a lie. I mean, everything that you believe is a lie, you know, just sort of your classic liberal know-it-all hemp is going to save the world, you know, type of thing. And, um, you know, sort of these self-righteous, self-righteous potheads that look down on the meth heads type of thing. And, um, the, the preacher was preaching, reading from the words of Matthew, John the Baptist, and he said, the axe at the root of the tree has already been laid, therefore bear fruit mm. in keeping with repentance, for every branch that does not bear fruit will be cast into the fire. And the Spirit just said, the trajectory of your life and all of your self-righteousness, you don't have the moral restraint. The tra trajectory of your life right now is you are heading to hell. Mm. And if you don't give me your life tonight, your destiny is in hell. And I just said, Lord, you're right. I mean, deep down inside, I knew that to be true. And so I gave him my life that night. I didn't really know what saved by grace through faith or, you know, I didn't understand the cross or atonement mm -hmm. or any of those things. I just knew, give him my complete life right now. And so I did and um, actually entered in immediately into a three-day complete fast, no food or water. Again, ignorant. I didn't know that you should probably drink water. <laughs> That's right. And so that was the beginning of my journey. That was the beginning of my journey. And, um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> in the first few months, but quickly joined a church back home and got discipled. And hmm. it's been quite a wild ride since. Wow. And just think about that generation. It's almost like the devil was trying to take all of us out with that kind of background, you know, selling drugs to going to a tent revival and getting saved. And uh, one of my friends that is a messianic believer <clears throat> likes to say his prior career was he was an unregistered pharmaceutical salesman, you know, kind of shine it up a little bit about what he was doing. He was selling drugs. And how many came out of that background and Jesus saved him and and is using him today. So thank you for sharing that. I just love hearing people's testimonies. I was a mess before I came to Jesus. Just leave it at that. But give us your passion. What are you passionate about? Why the Middle East? Why Central Asia? How did that ever happen? Yeah, so shortly after coming to faith, I was uh, attending an Assembly of God church, real inner city Assembly of God church there south. Uh, of Boston and a missionary came who at the time had been working for years in Kazakhstan. And for the first time, he explained the concept uh, of the 1040 window, this, this section of the world where the overwhelming vast majority of unreached peoples lived. And he laid out at the time, this was 1991, 1992, that roughly half of all of the unreached peoples of the world were Muslim. And you think about that, of all of the peoples of the earth that are unreached, mm -hmm. it was about 48% were Muslim. And then he said, but we're only sending at the time less than half of 1% of our global Protestant missions force to the Muslim world. And, you know, incredibly lopsided in terms of where we're allocating resources. A lot of people get called to minister in Fiji or Hawaii or that type of thing. 
but not many people were going to Afghanistan at the time or Iraq or, and so he, in classic Pentecostal form, um, he had an altar call and he said, if you feel as though the Lord is calling you to dedicate your life to the Muslim world, I want you to come forward. Hmm. And I really genuinely did feel the call. And um, I was the only one that came forward for the altar call and knelt down. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about Muslims or Islam. I just knew that I should have been dead. <laughs> I should have been in hell if, or in prison if I had gotten what I deserved. And if this is where the Lord needs people, I gave myself to that. And so that began the journey. Uh, as you said, it, now it's been about a 30-year journey. And, you know, I quickly fell in love with Muslims. Let me just say this. Um, I naturally have, I'm naturally extroverted, have an outgoing personality. Of course, all my my drug friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. So what I used to do is I would take the train into Boston, fill my back pocket with little pocket New Testaments and just share the gospel with anyone that was willing to listen to me. And of course, most Americans don't want to talk with strangers about God, the Bible or Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, I, I got a lot of rejections, but I quickly started bumping into Muslims. And what I found with Muslims, and you know, we don't want to we don't want to generalize too much, but if there's one generality that we could say with regard to Muslims, as different as Muslims are, mm-hmm. um, is they're a very incredibly God conscious, God focused people. And as much as they liked to argue with me and, and really kind of assault <laughs> the foundations of what we believe in terms of the atonement or the incarnation or the cross, or, you know, any of these things, the, the, the inerrancy of the, of the Bible, they love to talk about God, the Bible, and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I was a fighty Boston kid. I didn't mind the argument. I was just happy that someone was willing to talk to me. And so I really, I fell in love with Muslims. And personally, I found that um, of all the peoples of the world, they're, they, they're the most engaging uh, for those that do like to talk about God, the Bible, and Jesus. And so I fell in love with Muslims early on, and it's been um, it's been a tremendous journey. Wow! And I remember, you know, my first time working with Muslims. I had the same same calling. Uh, we fell in love with Israel, started guiding trips there. Love the Jews, have a heart to reach them. Um, Islam, you know, people of Islam, it was an acquired taste, and God just broke some walls down. But shortly after nine eleven, I went into Gaza. Uh, the first time into the Gaza Strip, and immediately a Muslim woman came up and confronted me and apologized for what happened at 9-11. She said, did you see people celebrating in the Gaza Strip? And I said, yes. And, you know, this is a covered Muslim woman. She spoke English well. And and she said, well, not me. I was crying for those people because they didn't deserve to die. And I remember when she turned on her heel and walked away, Joel, it just hit me, the Spirit of God. There's human beings in the Gaza Strip. The, the, I, my picture, maybe it was my dad, my FBI father background, so, you know, guilty until proven innocent. I realized that so many of them uh, were open, were loving people. It's not the picture you see on TV. And you experienced... The same thing going into all of these countries, and and that's why I I think we're we're so brokenhearted about Afghanistan. So can you just set it up for us? Talk. We were talking the other day, and you spoke about why this happening in Afghanistan is so significant, and what could spiral out of this. 
Well, there's good and there's bad, obviously, that is going to spiral out of it. Um, I would actually begin with the bad and say that what's happened in Afghanistan is 9-11 and the uh, immediate blitzkrieg of ISIS and the establishment of the ISIS caliphate. It's 9-11 and the establishment of the ISIS caliphate combined wow. times 100. Wow. Uh, we just don't quite realize it yet, uh, particularly for America, uh, internationally, globally. This is a devastating blow for the United States in so many ways. And it's such a victory, not just for the Taliban, but really for all of our enemies, as well as I'll just say our global competitors. Mm -hmm. And so the long term ramifications of this in terms of the embarrassment, the humiliation and the diminishment of American power globally, militarily, economically, like it's going to have long term drastic ramifications uh, that we're going to see unfold over the next few years. And we can get into that some more, some of the details there. On the positive side, um, let me say this, and I know you're well aware of this principle, Tom, but uh, spiritually speaking, you know, from a, a screw tape letters or this present darkness in terms of behind the scenes, spiritually what's happening, mm -hmm. uh, Satan is very well aware of biblical prophecy. The, the strange thing about Satan, you know, of course, you don't want to revile spiritual beings as the scriptures forbid that even Moses, uh, oh, even Michael, the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, um, he was not, right. Michael, the archangel was not mouthing off regarding um, governing authorities on Twitter, you know, yeah. but um, Satan, Satan, Satan's insane. You know, I mean, he understands his destiny. He knows what biblical prophecy says, but he is determined to try anyway. He's determined to fight and rage against what the Lord said he's going to do. And so, for example, Tom, we know very well that the scriptures, for example, in Isaiah 19, speak of this tremendous revival throughout the Middle East. It talks about it in Egypt and Assyria, so modern-day uh, Assyria, so modern-day Syria and Iraq and, and that whole region— and so what does Satan do? He says, oh, yeah, you know, the Lord said he's going to have this this people uh, from this region. So Satan says, well, I'm going to establish my kingdom right there in the heart of the Isaiah 19 prophecy. I'm going to establish my caliphate. And he always overreaches. He always overextends. He always just tries too hard. And so there's the ISIS beheading videos and all of this horror and terror. And Satan overreaches and the Lord, uh, you know, sits in heavens and and laughs for all of the, the catastrophe that that was. The Lord sits in heavens and he goes, I knew you were going to do that. Do you mm -hmm. think that I didn't know that you were going to do that? And so the result with, for example, ISIS is, you know, as you said, all people, all humans are created in the image of God. Um, yes, we're all reprobate in the sense that, you know, none of us are clean, no, not one, but we're also created in the image of God. And that includes Muslims and they have a conscience and they, uh, they can hear from the Holy spirit as well. I That's mean, right. not in the, not in the way that we hear from the Holy spirit. Um, but there's conviction. And when humans see other religious people, such as ISIS, quoting the Quran, quoting the Hadith, quoting the example of Muhammad, carrying out these things, which they know deep down inside are satanic. There is the principle of um, blowback. There's the principle of reverb. And 
so when ISIS happened, I said, this is brutal. I said, you give it a few years, you watch. The Lord is going to use what ISIS is doing as part of his evangelistic program. And so uh, my friend Dalton, you know, Dalton, he's mm-hmm. with uh, Frontier Alliance International. Just, just before COVID, he went up into northern Syria, uh, into the Kurdish areas. And he said everywhere he went, everywhere he went, the Muslims were like, oh, oh, you're an evangelical. Okay, yeah, I know what an evangelical is. My sister became an evangelical or my friend's family, they became evangelicals. And he says everywhere he went, people kept using the term evangelicals, which was interesting. They didn't just say Christians uh, as if to make them distinct from the traditional Orthodox Christians, which, of course, are, you know, common up there in Syria. And they're very good at surviving, but they're not necessarily good at multiplying and evangelizing and spreading. But the evangelicals are. And so, for example, in the city of Kobani, right there on the border of Syria and Turkey, there are now they call them convert churches. There are three openly, they're not underground, three convert churches completely full of MBBs, former Muslims. Praise God. And so the blowback is evident. We see it. We see the same thing in Iran, you know, with the Iranian revolution. Now we're 42 years after that. Ayatollah Khomeini, a puppet of Satan, he overreached. He tried too hard. The Iranians groaned under the oppression of what they recognized was the effort to establish a legitimate Iranian system of government. It's the same thing with ISIS. It's the same thing with Iran. And what we will see with the Taliban, we will see exactly the same thing. People don't like to be oppressed. They don't like to be suffocated. And there will be blowback. There will be a response. And in Afghanistan, you give it one, two, three years. I don't know the time. I'm, I'm willing to, uh, you know, lay my money down right now and, and make the bet that in a few years we're going to see a powerful revival coming out of Afghanistan. Praise God. And, and oh, wow, that, that scripture you were talking about in Isaiah 19 talks about, in starting in verse 24, in that day Israel will be a third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, this area we're talking about, and Israel, my inheritance. And so the devil is trying to wipe that out. And we've heard this, and we've often said this, uh, Afghanistan probably is the second fastest growing church in the world. I mean, we knew of when we were working there, 18,000 to 20,000 believers met a lot of the underground church. Uh, oh, our hearts are with them right now when you think about what they're going through. So the devil's trying to wipe that out. Second, according to Open Doors, most dangerous country in the world to live in as a believer, North Korea being number one for 20 years. But wow, in the midst of this, it's this spiritual battle in the heavenlies that's raging. And so it's much more than we're seeing on the news, just like you said, Joel. And you, you have got to tell the story if you feel like you're at liberty to about the book you wrote on refugees. Can you say anything about that and how the Lord used it? Sure. So uh, just a few years ago, I guess about four years ago, I released uh, a book. Uh, I co-authored a book with a dear friend. He's a Baptist brother uh, working in Albania for uh, 
20 some odd years, he and his wife um, got there right at the tail end of the whole Balkan crisis during the Clinton years, thrown as a young missionary family right into, you know, an ongoing campaign of ethnic cleansing and just the most divisive, bloody uh, mess, you know, part of the world at the time. And so real baptism by fire. And then I worked with Nathan throughout the Syrian refugee crisis, obviously, as the highway was pouring up through Eastern Europe, they were Mm -hmm. pouring through um, Albania, uh, Macedonia, and Albania, etc. And Nathan, I thought he was just masterful in terms of mobilizing the national churches there in Albania um, to reach out to these refugees as they were passing through. And so we partnered together. And so we had some... uh, some experience. And so out of that whole experience, we decided to write this book called The Mystery of Catastrophe, which deals with the the sovereignty of God in the history of redemption. Throughout history, the Lord has always used massive dispersions, migrations of people, refugee situations to further his purposes. And so that's sort of the foundational principle behind the book. And we talk about the end times. We talk about the catastrophes that are coming in our future and how the church needs to be prepared to minister to refugees, reach out to refugees, and how this is really a, a critical component of the church's mandate in these days and in the last days. So we wrote the book. It's been translated into a few different languages. And uh, Nathan actually led um, the a man to the Lord in Albania, who is now the assistant to the prime minister. So very strong Christian. And so he, as well as a few uh, pretty high-ranking, you know, uh, influential parliament members read the book, really impacted them. And um, and I don't want to say, you know, it's because of the book, but it was definitely instrumental in terms of leading Albania to be uh, one of the first nations to say, we want to receive Afghani refugees. We want to open up. And so it's just a tremendous blessing to know that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the work, you know, when, when an author puts work into a book, they don't know who's going to read it, if anyone, to know that it's actually impacting and making a difference in Albania. And it's beautiful because then when they land, the Christians there will be given uh, priority to be able to minister to and reach out to and, and bless the refugees at the moment, at the time that we're talking, the the bureaucracy, the nightmare on the ground in Afghanistan is just holding everything up, and we're praying for a breakthrough. Albania's ready. Albania's approved everything. We can't get the U.S. State Department to approve uh, the release of, of this long list of refugees that we have, but we're just praying for a breakthrough and that the Lord would, um, would uh, part the sea and make a way. Mm. Wow. In a vacuum of leadership with chaos on the ground, God raises up believers and uh, like this pastor in Albania and you, and to use a book that you wrote a few years ago and how it influenced public policy there. This is just tremendous. We pray that the church just rises up all over Joel in the midst of this because there is this absence of a clear plan from anyone with our coalition, from you know, our president on down, and and praise God that he used it. We never know when we write books who's going to read him, but praise God his timing and his ability to get that to one of the leaders in Albania. Wow, that's that's just thrilling. Hey, and I'm looking at it right now. You can get that book on Amazon, and you should. 
how God uses catastrophes in the world to just bring himself great glory. It looks like the end of the world, but then we look back and go, you know, the Lord really used this. So can you talk a little bit about Sheep Among Wolves? You and Dalton Thomas produced this this uh, video and so impactful, so powerful. Um, really just tell about what what that was about, why you did it, and what are the results of it? Sure. So uh, over the past few years, being an itinerant minister and author and speaker, I've really tried as much as possible to share uh, my platform and to help get the word out um, for a, a few different ministries that I'm friends with, one of which is Frontier Alliance International. So that's Dalton Thomas. They're actually headquartered in the Golan Heights in Israel. They've got teams in Iraq and Cyprus, Turkish Cyprus, and kind of throughout the Middle East. But um, we've taken an interesting approach, which is we also started a production company, a studio. Um, and so we created a film, FAI Studios created this film. We, there's actually two, Sheep Among Wolves 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And we made... Uh, these two films specifically about another ministry that I work with, which is GCM, that's Global Catalytic Ministries. And so of the handful of underground networks, underground church networks in Iran, uh, GCM is essentially one of those networks. They've been working in Iran and Afghanistan and, and throughout the Middle East. And so we made a film about GCM, about the underground church in Iran, we interviewed some of the believers, you know, translated their testimonies and so forth. And we talk a bit about their methodology. GCM specifically uh, has been using DMM, the disciple making model or disciple making movement sort of approach. And so what they found uh, was several, well, it's going back quite a ways now, 15 years or so ago, prior to uh, the presidency of Ahmadinejad in Iran. Um, Iranian Christians were able to actually evangelize pretty openly, um, but it was about 2004, 2005 that the persecution really began to ramp up significantly. And so that was when they began using this this approach to reaching their, their fellow countrymen and women. And it's been incredibly successful. It's prospered in the midst of persecution, high pressure. And, um, and so we, you know, we talk about, again, the underground church, we talk about the way they do it. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll just throw this out because it's, to me, it's really fascinating. Um, about a year ago, uh, the leaders, uh, of GCM, again, the underground church in Iran felt strongly impressed upon by the Lord that now is the time to begin training Western leaders, uh, in the United States, Europe, uh, throughout the West with the models, with the, the hard-earned lessons that they've learned mm-hmm. um, sharing the gospel in Iran under such heavy persecution, such a difficult regime. And they're actually training leaders here in the United States uh, in terms of how to start, and this is the fascinating part, to start underground home groups mm-hmm. here in the United States because they had a real strong impression that persecution is coming to the West. Mm-hmm. Obviously not as intense as Afghanistan, but the reality is it's coming and it's coming fast. Um, obviously throughout the election season, we saw the you know avalanche of deplatforming and that's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like persecution, but when a ministry relies 
on a particular uh, tech platform to communicate with their people, to receive funds. And the banks and the funding uh, you know, mechanisms are saying, if you say anything, let's say about the LGBT mm-hmm. agenda, we're going to um, label you as a hate group and remove you from the platform, this type of thing. That's legitimate persecution and it's mm-hmm. coming, it's coming rapidly. So it's, it's time to begin preparing uh, in many ways, even here in the United States, for uh, stepping into a season that's that's might not be as intense, but it's mm-hmm. actually very similar to what they're experiencing in the Middle East. Mm. Wow. Both videos are powerful. Sheep among wolves. Joel, we've been privileged to smuggle Bibles in a couple of times. Uh, Joanne's broadcasting through Iran Alive, a women's program, Flourish. Uh, into Iran, great reviews, great following. Uh, They are so hungry. They are so open. And I just think for believers here today in the West, we just need to encourage them to not shy away. They, we we need to be, you know, uh, aware of what's going on globally, but but active locally in our communities. Uh, Refugees are going to be coming, already are, from Afghanistan. This should be the finest hour for the church. And what GCM and FAI is doing, training people here in the West, we just say amen to that because we see the accusations all over the news and the slander. And after the accusation, the persecution starts to come. And so what a privilege to partner with you. And we are partnering in this need right now for Afghanistan, for funds, for prayer. And do you want to tell the good listeners how they can get involved, how they can send in if they they want to support uh, believers in Afghanistan and everything that's happening there. Sure. Well, as you said, we're uh, we're partnering. So, I mean, people can, by all means, um, donate directly to you. And and what what is the name of your ministry? It's Uncharted Ministries. Uncharted. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly people can um, donate directly to Uncharted and and designate uh, Afghanistan. Um, if they if they want to give to GCM, they can do that as well. That's catalyticministries.com. dot com. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll leave it at that. There there is so much opportunity right now, and there will continue to be um, kingdom opportunities in Afghanistan for the next few years, minimally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever Satan comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard. Right now, our primary focus is. And I would say that among the believers that we're in communication with, it's about 70% uh, are trying to get out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm, they're trying mm-hmm. to get, they're trying to flee with their families. And that's understandable. About 30% are saying we're staying. Um, yes, we're afraid, but we, we put our country and the gospel mm-hmm. and the kingdom first. And that's, this is not to guilt trip those that are leaving, you know, or to, to sure. diminish that in any way, shape or form. But, so we're working hard to help those that are trying to get out, um, and we're working to help and assist those that are staying. We actually have some, interestingly, um, members of the church that were outside of the country during this whole takeover, and they're desperately right now trying to get in. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty far and few in between. There's not many people trying to get into Afghanistan right, right now. Everyone's trying to get out. Um, there is already an underground railroad, um, of people, believers, most often that were formerly part, uh, you know, in the military 
or intelligence community that are working to rescue girls from what is essentially uh, sex trafficking. You know, many of the young girls have been taken and given as prizes to mm-hmm. the Taliban fighters, mm-hmm. not much different than what we saw with the Yazidis and the Christians uh, during ISIS, the ISIS time. So there's efforts to rescue these girls and not just Christians for clarity. I mean, Muslims, I mean, you know, look, as believers, we're not just called to stand with our team. We're called to stand for justice for the oppressed, That's period. Right. Um, so there, there are tremendous efforts underway. There's also efforts, obviously, to extract people from the airport. And unfortunately, that whole thing right now is just an absolute nightmare. The, uh, the chaos, the failure of communication between the different departments, the DOD and the State Department and this and that, everyone, the reporters that are on the ground, everyone that is involved in this is pretty much up for the past week, day and night. Um, coordinating and trying to make things happen, and everyone is so frustrated. The, mm. the the failure, unfortunately, of the American administration to take care not only of Americans but those with the SIV visas that were working with Americans and just genuine refugees uh, in general. It's it's genuinely, and I'm not someone who just you know is trying to bash uh, the administration or you know comment politically, but it really is criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's taking place, mm-hmm. and it's um, yeah, we we need some miracles and we need some breakthroughs. Amen, amen. And we couldn't end on a better note than that to pray for them. And uh, uh, Joanne sends her regards, Joel. She's working on things now. It's uh, with actually some of your people on helping get some of these women out from the sex trafficking that's happening and going to go large scale in Afghanistan and children, and that it's. Um, it's horrific, but it's a time for the church to rise up. It could be one of our finest moments. And it's, you know, for all the Christian ministries out there listening, all of us just need to s- surrender our, 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 you know, logos and just work. We can get a lot done for Jesus together. And it's a privilege to partner with you, Joel, and, and your team and others as uh, there's just this mad dash by the church to help. And sometimes in many cases— more is happening through the church than our government. And so we'll just leave it at that. But Joel, as we close, would you voice a prayer for Afghanistan for us? Absolutely. Father, we thank you uh, that you sit on the throne. Mm-hmm. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You're not disturbed. You're not um you're not taken by surprise. We thank you that you're sovereign and that you're in control. And we thank you that your heart is for redemption. Your heart burns for salvation. Your heart burns to see those that hate you mm-hmm. put to an end. And so we ask now, Lord, that your hand, your Holy Spirit, your empowerment would rest on all those that are on the ground, those that are trying to get out, those that are trying to get in, those that are trying to help those that are trying to assist, we ask that you would release breakthroughs in the airport. We ask that you would release breakthroughs uh, in the U.S. government, in various governments around the world, NATO governments that are working to help uh, to rescue those that are dying. We ask that you would touch your church globally, that you would give us your heart, take a drop from your heart and put it into ours, that we would burn for the things that you burn for, that we would align ourselves with your will and that we could partner with you 
in this catastrophe, this this moment, this window of tremendous mm-hmm. ministry opportunity. Yes. We ask that we would partner with you and that you would help us to maximize our time, our prayers, our resources as we join with you uh, to see the lost saved, to see those in distress delivered, and to see your kingdom come to Afghanistan and throughout mm-hmm. the region. So we put these things before you. We say, Lord, hear our prayers, see the cries, hear the cries. Mm-hmm. You said you, you, you see the misery of Hagar. We ask that you would look down now and see the misery of those that are in terror. And we thank you. We commit this to you. We thank you for your faithfulness. In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Joel, thank you so much. For those of you that want to give, you can give to Frontier Alliance International. You can give to Uncharted Ministries. Uh, We're working together, partnering. And Joel, it's just an honor to have you on our Good News from the Middle East podcast. Could there be any good news? Actually, there is in the midst of it, how Jesus is moving. And thank you for just carrying that torch around the world and how you're allowing God to use your life. It's a privilege to have you as a friend. Thank you. Privilege is mine, Tom. I love you guys and um, look forward to seeing you soon face to face. We do too. We sure love you. Thanks, Joel. Mm-hmm.